guys. It is still spooky season, so for Halloween today, I've decided to cover The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. I may have participated in a tragedy, but I'm not a figure of it. As always, when it came to the Usher family, I was on the outside watching the tragic events unfold. My childhood was actually very idyllic. We lived near the Usher house, and the young Roderick Usher had always been my dearest friend in my boyhood. We would play around the grounds of his family's sprawling mansion, climbing trees and swimming and roughhousing, ending our days filthy, flushed, and exhausted, as boys do. Roderick's sister, Madeline, preferred more indoor pursuits that suited her introverted nature, but still my memories of that place are all happy ones. Life had gently pulled us apart, as it does, and it had been many years since I had seen my dearest friend. I was very surprised to suddenly receive his letter, surprised and distressed. His letter said that he was very, very sick and needed me to be there with him to lighten his struggle. Without hesitation, I packed my things, put on my coat, and left to walk the paths of my childhood and return to the House of Usher. The House of Usher referred to the ancient lineage of the family, sorry, of the ancient prestigious family that occupied the mansion of the Usher family, which people referred to as though the house and the family were one and the same. I rode my horse past town through the once cheerful flower-lined road which turned dark and gloomy. It was a jarring shift from my childhood memories as I came upon the grounds I was struck in the face by the color gray. Despite the beautiful, fiery fall foliage in the surrounding forest, the once elegantly manicured grounds were gray. On the manor, gray-green moss climbed the crumbling gray stone up to the gray sky. It was a small, permanent winter surrounded by blazing fall. No deep red maple leaves, no jolly orange pumpkins, just cold, stretching, aching gray. It filled me with sadness and dread to know that the Usher family recently left the grounds, or sorry, rarely left the grounds, and were were self-imprisoned in this melancholy tomb. While the home still seemed as magnificent as it was gloomy, if you looked closely enough, you could see a long, zigzagging crack that crept from the very top of the mansion down, down, down to the gray lake over which the House of Usher was precariously perched on a gray rock. When I entered the house that was once a home, a servant led me through the mournful gray halls to find Roderick himself but I could barely believe that this man was once the boy I had known. The general color and structure seemed correct, yet there was a pale, sunken frailty that made him nearly unrecognizable. Still, he greeted me with a cheerfulness that seemed like it must be an act except for the sincerity in his eyes. After some mandatory small talk, Roderick told me of the troubles he had summoned me for. He had developed a morbid sensitivity of the senses. The scent of flowers assaulted him, music caused him pain, and even the blandest of foods was unbearably overpowering. 
My friend was sure that this condition would kill him, though I personally thought that the hypochondria could do with some sleep, food, and a vacation to see more cheerful sights. Halfway through the conversation, the equally thin but lovely lady of the house, Madeline Usher, wandered through the room without a word or even a glance in my direction. She swooshed in one door and out the other, silent as a ghost. When I sent a questioning gaze to Roderick, to my shock, I found him covering his face and sobbing. According to him, she was also terribly ill. Madeline was cataleptic and would go into catatonic death-like trances. She also was not long for this world. Poor Roderick. He truly believed that he was facing the complete end of his family line and the death of his only living family member. I spent the next several days trying to cheer my morose friend. It was quite a task since Roderick seemed to be overwhelmed by nearly any stimulus. Sometimes he would just seem to come out of his gloomy fog only to suddenly be snapped back into it. We read together and pursued quiet means of soothing him as the doctors wove in and out of his sister's room, each with worse news than their predecessor. I was not surprised one night when Roderick told me that Madeline had passed away, though I was surprised by his solution. Catalepsy was quite rare, and Roderick didn't want any of the fascinated chain of doctors to desecrate his sister's grave in order to study her. As such, he resolved to keep her mortal husk in his family dungeon for a few weeks rather than the family plot, so that when she reached her final destination, she would be too far gone to disturb. Thinking back on the barely contained interest of the doctors, I agreed to help him. That very night, we carefully hauled Madeline down into the only part of the house that I had never dared visit as a boy, the dungeons. When we at last reached the vault that would be her temporary grave and made to nail shut the lid, I was struck by a revelation. It was natural for siblings to resemble each other, but Roderick and Madeline were shockingly similar. Catching my glance, Roderick muttered something about the two of them being twins. It seemed strange to me that this was a new fact, despite having known both of them for most of my life. Considering their uniquely close bond, I suppose I should have assumed if not known this fact about my friend and his sole companion for many years. We nailed her coffin shut, then closed it behind the cold iron doors of the vault and went back to bed. Madeline's death triggered a change in my already gloomy friend. None of our previous pursuits gave him happiness or even peace any longer. He painted dark, chilling, abstract paintings that made me shudder with their intensity. He never spoke his sister's name. It seemed that his grief had consumed what little was left of him. All the while, the growing storm grew closer. It finally hit at night, thundering and rattling the windows, waking me from my deep sleep. As I slowly left the room, trying not to awaken my host or their staff, I was caught up by Roderick, who was energized and agitated. Have you seen it? he asked, and before I could ask what he was talking about, he flung the windows open and shouted, You will! Outside, the manor was surrounded by a cloud upon cloud of glowing gas that he was sure was of some ghostly origin. I tried to calm Roderick and reassure him that it was simply an electrical phenomenon caused by the storm. 
Let me read to you, I suggested, and help you find peace. I chose a fairy tale and jokingly called it an old favorite, as Roderick tended to perform more instructive or philosophical works. I was surprised, as I read, that the events in the book seemed to be manifesting in the real world, as the knight in the story cracked through the wooden gate barring his way to the princess. From somewhere in the house I could hear the splitting of dry, ancient wood. When the hero smashed the dragon's metal-plated head with his spiked lance, I could hear the screeching of metal on metal and the scream of the dragon's agony. I shook my head, trying to clear it. Was I going mad, too? Was this place slowly unraveling me, too? I met Roderick's gaze. You heard it, too, didn't you? He asked. It's her. We have buried her still alive, and she rises. I was about to tell him that that was absurd, when over the din of the roaring storm, I, heard, I too heard the approaching steps on the landing. She comes, Roderick cried, trembling and shuddering. I flung open the door to the hall to prove to both of us that there was nothing there, only to open it and find Madeline. Her white funeral shroud was stained with filth and her own blood. She, her emaciated body was injured and broken from her struggle to e escape her casket and her iron vault. The sounds I heard during the story suddenly made a lot more sense. I just had time to register this when Madeline went from slowly reeling on the spot to screaming like a banshee and flinging her body at her brother who was still trembling with fear. The twins slammed together and reeled on the spot then crashed to the floor, both dead. I don't know what came over me. My mind blurred away as raw horror tore through my limbs, which seemed to launch me through the corridors and out of the house. My eyes felt like they were frozen open. My heart hammered. I gasped and gasped, but never seemed to catch my breath. My ears felt as though they were stuffed with cotton, and I heard nothing but my own heartbeat until I flung myself out into the storm and the cool rain hit my overheated face. Slowly, as my pulse calmed and my vision untunneled, the sounds of the outside world were able to creep back into my brain. Among the chaos of the storm, a mighty crack shot through the air, jolting me to my bones. The mansion split along its dreadful crack, and the broken pieces collapsed with a groan into the black lake below, which swallowed every fragment, fragment eagerly. Like all Edgar Allan Poe stories, you can find this one on YouTube, read by Christopher Lee, whose voice is much more, you know, resonant and effective than my kind of nasal Midwestern voice. He, you know, you can't outvoice that guy. I don't know. Maybe James Earl Jones would give him a run for his money, but he has a beautiful voice or had, sorry, had a beautiful voice. And his reading of these different Edgar Allan Poe stories is truly magnificent. I definitely recommend you play it in the dark on Halloween night for full effect. It's absolutely beautiful. But if you're looking for something a little more lighthearted and you don't mind a little salty language, there is a YouTuber that does um, something he calls Thug Notes versions of classic literature, and that is absolutely hilarious, not only because of his using gangster speak translation for these classic literature tales, but also because of his kind of gleeful delivery of such creepy, dark content. It's absolutely hilarious because he's just smiling and giggling away as he talks about these twins just destroying each other. It, I don't know. It's it's really funny. It made me giggle. The guy just, he seems like a really funny guy. 
But of course, for the best version of the story, read the original by Edgar Allan Poe. Please like, subscribe, and share this show with a story lover in your life. And I can't wait to see you for more of Spooky Season here on Southern Pride Storytime. Thanks again for tuning in.